2: You're tuned in to the Tom Bernard Show. Tom is off till Monday sitting in for Tom. I'm Dave Schrader along with...
3: Cassie Schrader. Mike Molina. Nicole Remini.
2: We'll be back. We've got more coming your way on the Tom Bernard Show.
4: Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. What's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. And your record, terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good,
0: ladies and it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you?
4: At uh, e- Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant. Bradshaw and Brian. Walzer Automotive is a
0: Minnesota family owned business. It started in the fifties. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have twenty-three dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer Way includes upfront no haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and thirty-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com.
5: Man, I feel like a woman.
3: Something you want to tell me about, Melina? Oh. I Figure because it's 12 National Women's Day. Excellence.
2: This is the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Dave Schrader, sitting in for Tom. He'll be back with you on Monday. Until then, you're stuck with me, slumming with Dave Schrader. <laughs> But luckily we've got uh, Nicole Remini in studio with us. It's been a long time
5: uh, since we've done this.
2: Yes, it's been a a long, way too long time. As a matter of fact, our first, I think my first time on... uh, uh, big time radio in the Twin Cities was with you on the Chris Baker show
5: yep we got to it go was. on and
2: do uh, do a little thing and I've only since found out that the question I answered in his trivia was completely wrong We had the wrong answer he did said, you
5: did you win though?
2: what no yeah I did uh, I beat you uh, but the question that <laughs> I beat oh, I'm you, sure with you was, beat me. <laughs> was what what band uh, outsold the Beatles and the Rolling Stones in the sixties and uh, How do you I said them because the, I remember it and and I said the monkeys. And he said, that's right. They did it. But I just found out I I did an interview with Mike uh, Nesmith from the Monkees. And he admits that it was complete and utter trash. He (laughs) trolled out during an interview in the 70s with some guy. He just told the the journalist, I'm going to lie to you today. And he's like, well, why would you do that? He goes, why not? He goes, well, how am I going to know when you lie? He goes, well, that's the whole idea of a lie. So he told all the rest of this stuff. And the guy went along. But Mike was so certain that he said, oh, yeah, we – sold like 35 million albums that year we outsold the beatles and the rolling stones combined and that has become wow. part of history ever since but so i'm i'm abdicating to you that you truly beat me that day because that was a question i beat <laughs> well, you with it I only took no- 13 years
5: <laughs> i never a trivia so thank you <laughs>
2: there you go you had the chance you're uh, you made the big comeback on that we've got uh some interesting stories best u.s city to live in isn't on either coast i believe that
5: well, I'm going to say, like do you want you want me to guess? Right, well,
2: let's see what we've got here. Now one, okay, the number ten is Irvine, California. interesting. okay, but they're not I just think it's interesting that the number one city is not located on either one, and I'm a little actually I'm a little blown away by the answer, but number nine, Richardson, Texas. Texas shows up three times in this list.
5: I like Texas, do you I do. It's very hot. Yeah. You know, my cousin, this mm-hmm. is a funny story. See, I have so many stories. Mm-hmm. Forty years we have not seen each other and we reconnected. He's a remedy and he actually has the cutest jewelry store, really beautiful stuff in Fredericksburg, Texas. It's a nice place.
2: All right, we've I got like it. number eight, Overland Park, Kansas.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Number seven, the Woodlands, Texas. Number six, Cambridge, Massachusetts.
3: Interesting.
2: Unless it's right now, because I think they're getting that new Northeaster, right? They are. They are. How many inches of snow has been dumped on the East Coast?
5: Well, you know, they they were like us, like 9 to 12 inches.
2: Yeah, but then they're getting hit with another dose, yeah, like are. back-to-back. They Remember are. a few years ago when the people were snowed in, they opened up their front door and they like dug oh, out yes, holes yes. to put their food and, and, and uh, drinks into. Yes,
5: that was hilarious. Crazy.
2: Uh, then uh, you've got Arlington, Virginia. Okay. Plano, Texas, in number four.
5: All right. I've been there, too. Berkeley,
2: California, for number three. And right in my neck of the woods where I grew up, Naperville, Illinois, comes in number two, which surprises me. Interesting. Number one, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Huh. I would have never thought, first of all, Michigan would have made it.
5: Not in a million (laughs) years. I don't mean that rudely. No. But
2: when you think... Best U.S. anything. No, <laughs> Michigan but doesn't like really, best
5: for what? I don't know.
2: To live in, I guess. Best U.S. city to live in isn't on either coast. It's Ann Arbor, Michigan wins the honor in a new survey. Of course, I don't know if they just like surveyed everybody in Ann Arbor for this. We we don't know how that yeah, all went they, down. they
5: doubled up. Um, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Like none of those places make sense to me. No, even was did you say Cambridge was on there?
2: Uh, I mean, Irving, Ir- Irvine, California; Richardson, Texas; Overland Park, Kansas; The Woodlands, Texas; Cambridge, Massachusetts; Arlington, Virginia; Plano, Texas; Berkeley, California; Naperville, Illinois, and Ann Arbor, Michigan.
5: It just seems like a lot of these places are very expensive.
2: Are they? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I never get out of the Twin Cities. I, have I know to take someone your word that
5: lives in Plano and uh, lives in like a mansion.
2: Well, that's why they're the best city to live in. They're very fancy.
5: Yeah, but are yeah. they affordable? That's why I was wondering what's uh, what not this the list name was. of the list
2: here. It's not the most affordable <laughs> cities to live in.
5: I guess not. That'd be Coon Rapids, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't see that. Very uh,
5: interesting.
2: Boy, my kids are going to go crazy over this next story. Um, your kids are all too old to have played the the Pokemon Go
5: stuff, right? Well, we do have a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, so sixteen-year-olds
2: really are into the Pokemon I, Go thing. I think.
5: Well, my neighbor, my not that I'm Lord, picking on her,
2: she can. Certainly my
5: be neighbor and her kids literally did this as a sport, and her kids are in junior high and high school.
2: Well, see if it gets you out walking. I'm all for it. I yeah. think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, not my deal. But nope. the, uh, but I did take my step boys out walking a lot last year to go (laughs) Pokemon hunting, but Jurassic Park has now stepped into the realm. No way. Jurassic World Alive is Pokemon Go, but with dinosaurs... The monster hunting on Pokemon Go meets dinosaurs in Jurassic World Alive, a new augmented reality location-based game for Android and iOS coming this uh, spring. Developed by Ludia, which has previously worked on Jurassic World, the game, and Jurassic Park Builder, Jurassic World Alive, will let players track and collect and do battle with dinosaurs. It puts players in the role of a new recruit in a dinosaur protection group. Players are tasked with saving dinosaurs from another extinction by tracking them, collecting DNA samples, and creating new hybrid species in a lab. Can you just hear the boys are salivating over this right now? I would tell you, my daughter
5: Bree Mm -hmm. would love this. Really, She is like obsessed with Jurassic Park.
2: In a press release, Universal and Ludio said players will track their Jurassic prey with a drone and must track down supply drops in games to earn in-game currency and battery life for that drone.
5: That is the craziest thing. I think we're going to have to bust
1: out the inflatable uh, T-Rex costumes. uh, Really?
2: (laughs) You get on yours, I'll put on (laughs) my Godzilla, and we'll walk with the kids up and down the streets (laughs) while they're doing Jurassic World Alive? But you know, uh, I bet that's going to be a lot more educational than Pokemon Go. I guess yeah. if my kids had to go out and learn something, I'd much rather they learn about real dinosaurs.
5: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it'll be kind of fun. I think it'll be cute, and they're coming out with a new Jurassic movie.
2: Right, yep. Jurassic World: The Fallen Kingdom.
5: Yeah, so I'm all I'm about for it. I am right, too. See, I am
2: our, our leader here, Tom, hated Jurassic World. Really? He thought it was horrible. Well, a lot of people didn't like it I, I like the, the fact that a lot of them hinge on it that just the fact that Bryce Dallas Howard was running around in high heels throughout the entire movie I'll get past that
5: see like I just thought
2: it was fun and I and thought it was fun
5: yeah. I and I like what's his face Chris Pratt yes mm-hmm. yeah like he's, he's, all right, I he's guess. well you know what he's funny yeah he is. like yeah he's cute but he's funny Like, Mm -hmm. I actually enjoy watching him.
2: Yeah, he's a good actor. He's funny. Not too hard on the eyes. Not too hard on the eyes. Look at you. Listen to the way you said that. I know. It was very uh, dripping with (laughs) sexuality. What? Not too bad on the (laughs) eyes. Hey, uh, joining us in a little bit, uh, Rizwan Verk is going to join us. A very successful entrepreneur, angel investor, best-selling author, and a video game industry pioneer and independent film producer has a new book called Real Life Treasure Hunt. Follow your dreams. And the idea, and I mentioned this last night or yesterday on the show, I said, do you tune in today because uh, you might find out how you can win $20,000. Really? Yeah, the idea is to uh, have people from all walks of life enter their business ideas, and the author will invest twenty grand in one of the winner's business ideas and give them mentoring.
5: That's amazing. Very cool. Well the like author, Shark Tank. Exactly. I, it yeah. says,
2: well, the author is part of Silicon Valley, where angel investing is common and runs a startup accelerator at MIT for software gaming companies. The idea here is to open up the contest to people who might not otherwise be able to find investors. The idea doesn't have to be software. It can be anywhere. The so, uh, the author will pick finalists and interview them to choose a finalist. Think of it as a shark tank with spiritual perspective. Uh, to enter, they have to show that they... Um, bought and read his book and explain how they followed the clues to their business idea and explain their business idea that's pretty what first of all what a great way to sell your book right you put it in as a real treasure hunt if you can figure out the clues and the tips i'm giving you in this how-to book right because i think that's the biggest problem with all these how-to books and why they're good for a little bit and then they fall by the wayside is because they will give you the tools and in a lot of these cases don't tell you how to use the tools properly. Right.
5: Well, and I think not everybody's equipped, even when you give them the tools, I think people get in their own way. So if you can dig down deep into what is keeping them from even finding out what this gift is, if you can help them get there, that's half the battle.
2: I agree. And that's, that's great that, you know, here, you do all this. If you do it all, prove to me you bought the book. Show me how you use the steps to create this idea. Then he's going to f- pare it down to finalists and and reward somebody with a 20. Uh, that's where else awesome. have you ever had a chance of winning 20 grand by reading a book?
5: Now, let me ask you, is that just mm-hmm. for listeners today? No. No, that's what just, they're doing
2: with the with the, that's uh, the promo overall for this for guy. The, right, for the book.
5: That's pretty amazing. Well, I'm I saying, love if you that listen idea. Listen to the show
2: today, you might find out a way to win $20,000. That's amazing. I didn't necessarily mean today.
5: Got it. Yeah, just, unless you
2: have 20 grand sitting around you want to give out as a contest right yeah,
5: now. Yeah, not right now. Not right now, you can no, hold back. I had a couple of Coming up. Uh,
2: John Favreau, uh, I'm trying to look at this article. Uh, Favreau to produce Star Wars series for Disney streaming service now.
5: Hmm. Well, didn't. Yeah, because now Disney pulled everything from Netflix that's a Disney show. Right. Because they're going to do their own streaming. But I'm not. hate to say it i'm not a star wars person i was like back you know back when right but i'm not into all these like you were saying earlier all these prequel things like i can't remember star wars when i was a kid to have to remember (laughs) wait who's who's related to what they did i can't do it it's too much too much thinking i don't want to go to the movies to think I no. just want to go to a movie and be entertained. You don't
2: like a good, engaging kind of thought process movie?
5: Not if it makes me have to think back to what I watched when I was 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to be 50 this year. I don't have that type of like capacity anymore.
2: Says here Lucasfilm announced this morning that Emmy nominated producer and actor John Favreau has signed on to executive produce and write a live action Star Wars series for Disney's new direct-to-consumer platform. Favreau is a big Star Wars fan having played roles in both the Star Wars: The Clone Wars animated series and the upcoming Solo: A Star Wars Story. I couldn't be more excited about John coming on board to produce and write for the new direct-to-consumer platform, says Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy. John brings the perfect mix of producing, writing talent combined with a fluency in the Star Wars universe. This series will allow John the chance to work with a diverse group of writers and directors and give Lucasfilm the opportunity to build a robust talent base. I just wonder, if you, are we starting to hit the oversaturation level for Star Wars? And Honey, I know you're you love the Star Wars
1: franchise. I do. I think, it. I mean, between animated stuff and, you know, I think people are just going to get overwhelmed and just not want, they're going to be, they're going to cherry pick what they're going to want to see. Right. And it's going to be the big blockbusters at the movies. It's not going to be these, you know, series and stuff, I don't think, because it's just people, when they go to see Star Wars, they're following the storyline of... Darth Vader, Princess Leia, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewbacca. Those are, I mean, those are the quintessential characters that people are going to follow. So when you start throwing in all these, you know, prequel stuff (laughs) and, you know, stuff that has nothing to really do with the main characters, people are just going to, I don't, I don't know how that... I wouldn't honestly... Well, I think I, it's just the
2: glut of it. You know, if it was if it was spread out, we went so long without any Star Wars. Yeah. We did that prequel, now which nobody too much. left too much a uh, bad taste in people's mouth. Then the idea that maybe it was going to be uh, looked at and brought back. And the new couple of movies have been great. But then all of a sudden, now that we're going to get one every other year in yeah. the ongoing arc, and mm-hmm. then we're going to get fill-in stories like right. Rogue One, Han Solo, and keep putting it through there. Were you much of a Star Wars fan at all, Mike, or no? Nope, no, not at all. Do you think? I mean, if, if what's what's a show that you would invest yourself in that you always thought this is great and you love when they come out with sequels or or prequels to it?
3: Uh, that wow, I cannot think of anything off the top of my head. I guess I just uh, did you like the Godfather trilogy? Uh, yeah. Aside from part so if, three,
2: right? If so, if they suddenly said we're going to come out with a prequel series about the Godfather. I could see maybe going – it would be great to kind of revisit that world. But if they did that and then in conjunction with a TV series regarding Godfather and then specials on the Godfather, I mean, at some point, you just hit that oversaturation market, right, where it's yes, just it's like, yeah. you know, Plus, I want that's that- a lot to live up to. I mean, yeah.
3: live up to. We alluded to it in the first hour that the Sopranos were coming back, and it's like you almost want to say, leave it alone. Right.
5: Just, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I don't even know how this streaming for Disney is going to do. It's just, it's very interesting to me. I'm, I'm I That's the other thing that I think, when I mean, we talk about saturation. I mean, there is so many streaming services. How many people are going to be subscribing to all of these services? And now Disney?
2: Well, see, and that was part of the deal. I thought it was, you know, I like the idea that you could find some of these streaming services because we started looking at our cable bill. And oh, I'm like, my gosh. you know, I have cable to watch this show, this show, this show, this show, and then, you know, a couple of regular deals. And I realize how much I'm paying, you know, I'm paying almost 200 a month for cable. Mm-hmm. So that means I'm spending $2,400 a year on right. cable. And if I just go to Netflix and Hulu and, and my Amazon Prime, I'm out, you know, what, 40 bucks a month, 45 bucks a month? Yeah. And that gives me... Just about access to everything I I cared to watch. Well, you know, like- but now, like you said, now Disney's gonna start their own streaming right. company and pulled everything from Netflix, Netflix is starting to get down to bare bones. You're gonna I think they're gonna oversaturate with these different branches yeah. of how to watch these shows too. We have to take a quick break. We'll come back. We've got more right here on the Tom Bernard show. I'm
3: Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking, they always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, true north oral surgery and implants is a long time Customer with a growing practice their banker Julie Marshall knows the ins and outs of what they do so when they need working capital and equipment loan or funds for expansion they call Julie are you looking for a banker you can count
0: on give us a call this is Tom why not bank with my banker North American Banking Company a better banking experience member FDIC an equal housing lender hi this is Tom if you spend any time at the lake you can relate to hanging out on the dock with family and friends let flow enhance your experience with their rock-solid dock systems you see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Flow boat lifts are a breeze to level using a cordless drill with their patented easy level system. Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983 visit flow at the northwest sports show at the minneapolis convention center march 22nd through the 25th be sure to ask for the show special where with a qualified purchase you'll receive a free three-piece furniture set or free wireless remote and mention you heard this ad on kq for an additional fifty dollars off a dock or lift system to find out more about flow systems visit their website at f-l-o-e-i-n-t-l dot com flow docks and lifts a better way
2: Back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Tom will be back with you on Monday. He's on Punta Cana, the KQ Morning Show. Rizwan Verk will join me in a little bit here on the show. We've got some news to take a peek at. Um, Heather Heather Locklear. She was back in the news. Did you see that, Mike? Oh yes. She was. <laughs> what she dealt with one thing, but now like, do you know why? And I'm trying to find that article. She was. They just raided her house looking for a gun.
3: Oh, I did not hear that. Yeah,
2: I'm trying to find that uh, that story, but it seems like she's she's got more issues coming her way uh, because of of a gun issue. Uh, let me see if I can pull that up here. Maybe you can look that one up. While I talk about Tommy Lee, wasn't she associated with Tommy Lee?
3: Yeah, they were married.
2: Yeah, they were together at one point, right? Tommy Lee's son Brandon calls their alleged altercation a result of my father's alcoholism. Brandon Lee is claiming that his altercation with Tommy Lee stemmed from his father's alleged alcoholism. A rep for the 21-year-old model issued a statement to People on Wednesday after Tommy took to Twitter on Tuesday to accuse Brandon of assaulting him during an alleged altercation on Monday night. I'm devastated at the events of the last several days that have been a result of my father's alcoholism, Brandon's statement read. I've worked tirelessly organizing an intervention, and it's incredibly upsetting that it never came to fruition. I wanted my dad' hopeful sobriety and recovery to be a private family matter, but as a result of his accusations on social media, I feel forced Now to speak out, Uh, I have and will continue to cooperate with law enforcement as needed, he continued. I love my father and just want to see him sober, happy and healthy. Shortly after the statement was published, Tommy took to Twitter to dismiss his son's statement and deny that an intervention was ever in the works. L-M-A-A-A-O, I'm happier than I've been in my entire life. I've had just a few drinks here and there because I'm freaking retired and enjoying my life is what Tommy Lee tweeted. I worked a a 30-plus freaking years. I deserve it. You didn't arrange any intervention. You barely spoke to me while you were here, just covering your butt. See you later, social media. Can't read any more lies, the Motley Crue drummer tweeted afterwards. Brandon is the son of Tommy and his ex-wife, Pamela Anderson. The two also have a 20-year-old son, Dylan. And after Tommy's tweets on Tuesday, E.T. reached out to his manager, Anderson's rep, and Brandon's publicist. Earlier on Wednesday, a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department officer told E.T. that police responded to Tommy's Calabasas, California home on Monday night, where he alleged that Brandon hit him. The officer also shared that the 55-year-old musician was then transported to a local hospital, noting that he had a visible injury on his face. E.T. has learned that nobody was taken into custody, but according to police, Tommy stated that he plans on pressing charges. Tommy's fiancée, Vine star Brittany Ferlin, was the one who called emergency services on Monday night. In the call obtained by E.T., she told the operator that Tommy was unconscious and alleged that Brandon had guns in his room. My stepson has guns in his room. That's why I'm freaked out, she claimed. I just locked the door. In his mouth, he's bleeding, Brittany said, noting that she was having trouble turning him over onto his side, which the operator directed her to do. I'm trying. He's knocked out. He's unconscious. He's unconscious. However, at about four minutes into the call, Brittany told the operator that Tommy had started to come to another voice can be heard on the end of the line. And while it's unclear who's talking or what's being said, Furlan indicated that Tommy had asked her to cancel the call. He's saying he wants me to cancel you guys. He doesn't want you guys to come now, she continued. The operator told Brittany that they would still come to the house to make sure Tommy was okay. Can you just cancel it? He doesn't want you here. He's okay, she added at the end of the call. Brittany claimed in the call that the argument started over a disagreement involving Pamela. When Tommy told his son to leave, she alleges that Brandon punched him in the face. He punched him really hard, she claimed. He punched him in the face and he went flying backwards. Monday night, when the incident allegedly took place, Brandon shared a few cryptic videos to his Instagram saying, As I get older, I've started to realize there are very few people that you can trust. But anyway, that's my super depressing thought for tonight. Just thought I'd share it. Be a penis, I think, is what he's getting at in this deal. Uh, The following day, Tommy shared a since-deleted photo of his bloodied face via Instagram with a caption that read, My heart is broken. You can give your kids everything they could ever want in their entire lives, and they can still turn on you. Good job, Brandon. Great son. Nice way to take it public, Mike, right? (laughs) Yeah. Nothing better than a little family dispute. And then you pull it all out. Uh, that's, that's insane. How do you, what do you think about this? Have you seen the news that that, that uh, special about O.J. is going to be airing? Oh, another one? Yeah, it, well, where he describes the night yeah. from his perspective.
1: Well, it was, that, it was that book that he wrote saying that if he had done it, this is how it would have gone down. And they did the interview a while back, but it never aired. Right, So they're going to finally air it. Um, I I don't know why now.
2: Yeah, it says O.J. Simpson was still angry at Nicole Brown Simpson at her funeral. And although he doesn't remember what he said to her when he kissed her goodbye, he describes what he wanted to say in the never-before-seen video from the upcoming Fox special O.J. Simpson, The Lost Confession the question mark. It's all very strange and chilling as OJ elaborates to book publisher Judith Reagan about the feelings he had toward his ex-wife and how his anger toward her didn't disappear after her death. Simpson then oddly brings Nicole's infamous 911 call up where he could be heard yelling at her in the background as a way of explaining how he warned her of something. He talks in circles but expresses regret he'll never be able to have an effect on this person again. OJ's asked what he said to Nicole when he leaned over and kissed her but says he can't remember he does remember people heard him say i'm sorry the fox special also features what seems like a confession to the murders of nicole and ron goldman in 1994 with the premise being it's only hypothetical the lost confession airs sunday at 8 p.m people are still so fascinated by this case but if you have i don't know if you've seen the the promo for it mike no. But the way they lead it up, I mean, it's like a close up of him sitting in the chair, and he goes, A lot of people have wondered what's gone on that night. Now, only one person knows for sure, and that's me. And then he kind of explains that he's about to spill his guts about what actually took place. Now, I'm sure this is creative editing to a degree, because again, I think he agreed to do this to get some money and then just talk about it hypothetically, like this is what I would have done, or this is what I believe took place. Hmm. I don't get it.
3: Well, now he's been out what uh, five months, six months? Sure. So definitely, yeah, at, probably needs right. Money. But this it's is over. an old. This is an old interview. Oh, it's an old interview. Yeah, that
2: they're coming back up. Oh,
3: because I'm surprised. Uh, here we are, and I think he was released in early October, and he has yet to surface doing any like interviews or anything like that.
1: Yeah, it was that that book that came out. If I did it. Yeah, or I did it confessions. Oh yeah, if I did it, but they put if in very small writing on the book, and that was you know, on yeah. purpose, and then, yeah.
2: It's, uh, I, why, do, why, you know, aside from him just coming straight out and saying, okay, I did it. I did it. It's, you know, this is what happened. <coughs> why do we have to keep dredging this up? If he's not going to come forward, I wonder what kind of ratings this thing is going to get. Hopefully it, it just bombs, and they're just over it.
1: Well, I mean, if he makes any money, doesn't that money have to go towards the Goldman family?
2: I think they get a percentage. I don't think they get everything that he gets, right, Mike? Isn't there something that's well? Like, I mean, he's
3: still on the hook for the thirty-three million dollars that he never paid them, right? And uh, I mean, they cannot touch his uh, pension, though, that he gets from the NFL now that he's out.
2: And how much? How much is that? Is that enough for him to live uncomfortably? Oh I thought yeah,
3: that's a sizable amount.
2: Really? I thought that that
3: because it accumulated aging, it over the years of him right. being incarcerated. So it's oh, like because it, he never used
2: it. Yeah. I thought the big problem with the NFL was that their older players didn't get taken care of that well,
3: and yeah. OJ would
2: have fallen in that '70s category, right? Oh yeah, definitely.
3: Because he played from like '69 to '70,
2: but he still made enough money.
3: Yeah, to
2: in a pension for that, huh? Huh? I, I wonder if there's like an actors guild pension too, or so since he did so much acting. Yeah, probably. That's
1: well, when he did his sports reporting after he retired from the NFL, was that for like the NFL itself? Or was that, like, through ESPN?
2: Says so O.J. Simpson was released from prison after serving nine years behind bars. Uh, Simpson still owes tens of millions of dollars in the wake of the '97 civil lawsuit in which he was found liable for the wrongful deaths of his ex-wife Nicole Brown and Ron Goldman in order to pay $33.5 million in damages to the survivors' families. Even so, Simpson will probably be quite comfortable financially now that he is free thanks to pensions, so there are multiple, that may pay out more than Twenty-five thousand dollars per month, funds that are not subject to seizure by creditors. The seventy-year-old former uh, football star, who was tried and acquitted in '95 for the murder of Brown and Goldman, was incarcerated after he was found guilty in 2008 of armed robbery. And he was released after, uh, in October 1st, 2017, after serving the nine-year minimum for th- for that case. Huh. He has roughly two hundred fifty thousand in the bank while others have much higher estimates, including CelebrityNetWorth.com, which reports that he's worth $3 million. But we know that's not true, right? <laughs> it, on CelebrityNetWorth.com, because I was affiliated with the Ghost adventure show, Mike, mm-hmm. cl- click that link real quick, CelebrityNetWorth.com, and uh, go up into the search for a celebrity right up at the top there. The green one, yeah. Just type in David Schrader, S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R. Yeah, I this this is what proved to me that I don't think any of this stuff is on there. Uh oh it's not pulling up on this one. On one of the one of the pages for these celebrity net worths, because I worked on that and I've done coast to coast, it had me down as like what was it, thirteen point five million dollars <laughs> is what I, I've basically uh I'm my net worth is. So I don't know that we can necessarily go by everything they say on these websites.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
2: Crazy. Go banking rates. Why why are why is that information even
3: allowed online, Mike? I don't know. I, I would assume just because he's a public figure, though. Right, I mean, but why? Can, did,
1: why
2: should that be allowable? Why should people get to know because you're a public figure what you take home every year? I don't know. I, uh, like the celebrity rankings every year, does it adjust to anything? I mean, does it make anybody happy to know that? Or that that's so weird to me that that whole aspect of celebrity and well, how much do they make? What did they earn? Who cares?
3: Yeah, but the problem is there's probably you know there are people who care, and so it's like it's interesting and. Noteworthy to them i mean you look at the forbes list that comes out every year
2: right right what a weird deal fukushima's water issue is growing and the wall uh, what is it the ice wall isn't enough fukushima scares me man with the damage that's going on and they think that there's a weakening now from one of the other um uh one of the other plants that could be going wrong experts uh, say it's working but other methods are also needed to Keep groundwater around the plant clean, uh, though ice wall is not enough. It says a government commissioned group of experts concluded Wednesday that a costly underground ice wall is only partially effective in reducing the ever growing amount of contaminated water at Japan's destroyed Fukushima nuclear plant. The plant's operator, Tokyo Electric Company, says the ice wall has helped reduce the radioactive water by half. The plant also pumps out several times as much groundwater before it reaches reactors via a conventional drainage system using dozens of wells dug around the area, per the AP. The groundwater mixes with radioactive water leaking from damaged reactors. Contaminated water also results from rainwater that comes in contact with tainted soil and structures at the plant, which suffered meltdowns on three reactors. After a March 2011 earthquake and tsunami, the one mile coolant filled underground structure was installed around the wrecked reactor, building to create a frozen soil barrier and keep groundwater from flowing into the heavily radioactive area. Aren't they? I thought they were saying that they were finding pretty heavy levels of radioactivity in the waters already coming in off the Pacific because of the Fukushima disaster. So that's, you know, when you start realizing just how deep the breath of this disaster is gone i man see do you eat a lot of seafood at all mike or no
3: oh yeah that's like uh i gave it up for lent but yes
2: really i thought seafood is the one thing you catholics are allowed to eat during the uh
3: i know but i gave up meat so oh gotcha uh, a long time ago and uh yeah i needed something for lent and a couple years ago i gave up coffee and that was a bad choice on my part yeah yeah (laughs) caffeine withdrawal
2: but the fish, uh, the fish, the radioactive waters, all the dumping grounds—we've just turned our world into a giant pollution pile. Ugh. Very scary stuff. Uh, when we come back, we've got a guest who's going to join us. He has a brand new book out um, and fascinating stuff—real life treasure. Uh, follow your dreams. We'll be talking with uh, Rizwan Verk, uh, who's a successful entrepreneur, angel investor, best-selling author. I love those shows. Do you ever watch um, like Shark Tank at all? Uh, yeah, do you From like that show? Time.
3: Yeah, you know I mean well, uh, what
2: what aspect of it fascinates you? Is it the people pitching or the way that the investors look at the the products?
3: Yeah, I think a, a little bit of both. I think just you know given their uh, success in the market and the way they can like analyze something in a pitch that's you know five minutes right.
2: or under. Do you see something though you're like, God, that'd be great and they totally turn it away. Yeah, And then they buy something else. You're like, did you really need another brownie mix? Did we really need another wine? That's what I don't understand about that show. Uh, but, you know, that's why I'm doing radio. We'll talk about success and how to turn your life around when we return. I'm Dave Schrader. You're listening to The Tom Bernard Show.
0: It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutrimost weight loss plan. I have started up another round at the new Nutrimost Plymouth location. And those unwanted pounds, they're going fast. Unlike any other weight loss program, Nutrimost is so easy and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a free informational dinner where you too can learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client, and owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, 6 p.m. at Jake's City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutrimost. Just off Highway 55 and 494, space is limited, so call 763-333-7337 now to register. That's 763-333-7337. Tom Bernard here. If you're ready to sell your home, you've probably heard that you should wait until spring. But why wait for temperatures to rise when the market is hot right now? Not selling in winter is a total myth. Truth is, buyers are hungry. That's 763 401 sold. The first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value, and it's only going to the first two Tom Bernard Show callers from this ad. That's 763 401 sold. Call now, get the free staging package, and grab the opportunity before winter is over.
2: We're back. This is the Tom Bernard Show. I'm Dave Schrader. I was sent the press release on this next book, and uh, man, it connected with me on so many different principles. Especially, do you know, Mike, I do the show regarding the paranormal the supernatural right and i'm always fascinated by our connection with ourselves and where we get our information why do some musicians and artists and writers take pen to paper and have no memory of where it comes from but it just seems to pour out of them is it a supernatural element is it something that's within us is it our future selves giving us this input uh success to me has always been a really interesting aspect of that i know you love music as much as i do
3: oh yeah definitely
2: and the idea that you've heard some of the best musicians in the world will tell you they have no clue where this came from, right? They sit down and all of a sudden the song is there. Is it intuitive? Did they did they just pull this out of the air? Is there something more to it? But I, I love the fact that some people will get an idea. It'll come to them and they won't act on it. And then all of a sudden a year later or two years later, it's a huge phenomenon and they've missed out on that. Have you ever had that where you've thought of something? It's like almost like an invention pops to mind. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, two years later, it's out there and you're like, oh, man, why can't I? I need somebody behind me helping on this kind of thing. Definitely. Well, that's what's good about this new book, Treasure Hunt. Follow your inner clues to find true success. Rizwan Verk, a successful Silicon Valley entrepreneur and investor, shows you how to learn to tune into messages that are coming to us all the time from the hidden worlds. These messages, which take the form of synchronicity, hunches, gut feelings, visions, experiences of deja vu, bodily sensations, and even in our dreams while we're awake or sleep, are clues in our own personal treasure hunt. Thank you for joining us today, Riz. Oh, it's great to be here, Dave. What a, a great aspect! I'm glad that somebody is taking the perspective of ourselves and learning to trust those hunches instead of just, you know, kind of the outside uh, stimuli to tr- to teach us and train us to see and and map a better path, but to actually start to learn from what we already have within. What what was kind of your um, your experience of finding this aspect of success?
6: Uh, yeah, sure. So you know, I started to pay attention to what I call clues. Really, in my very first startup, I, I was uh, had just graduated from MIT, and uh, you know, was an engineer, which is a very left-brained world to be in. Right. Although, it turns out that engineers use their intuition quite a bit, just as scientists do, uh, to find the answer to a problem. And so, what started to happen to me was I, I would have these these funny feelings about something. Uh, For example, it could be as simple as I walked by a building and I had a funny feeling about it. And then a year later, you know, we would end up having an office space in that building. Uh, And sometimes it would uh, be in a dream where I dream about a competitor. And then later that day, I'd get a call about that competitor. And I'd be like, oh, that's odd. And so, you know, as I started to investigate both uh, the business but also the, the quantum physics side of it, I realized that you could say the reason we had the office in that building was because I had the hunch, you know, a year earlier, or it's just as true to say that the reason I had the hunch about that building was because one of my future selves was going to have an office in that building, and I was picking up on that with my mind. And so that's what clues are like, is there's some external stimulus and some internal stimulus, and that's why synchronicity is a perfect type of clue. But that experience, you know, really led me to to start paying attention to these types of things, and then that led me to, to writing this book.
2: You know, the one problem a lot of us have, we all have that chatter that goes on in our in our head, right? And, you know, you've got the chatter that's like, hey, you should do this, this is amazing. But then there's that droning voice that can come in and nag you down to be like, yeah, you know how much time this is going to take, your chances of success are probably very thin, you know, the money and the time and effort and like that. When When you're looking for these signs, how do you learn which clues actually follow in those situations, because both seem equally uh, voluminous and, and, and trying to get your yep. attention.
6: Yep, that, that, that's right. And so, uh, you know, I thought about this problem a lot, and one of the models I introduced in the book is called the clue life cycle. And the clue life cycle is a way to bring the left brain and the right brain together when you have an intuition. And the idea is that, you know, some people have this inner chatter and they, they don't act when they should, right. whereas other people may act too quickly. You, know, you might have a dream about Italy and decide, okay, I'm going to quit my job and move to Italy this morning. And so the Clue Life Cycle is a way of asking a certain set of questions, which I call the rules of treasure hunting. Uh, and the first of those questions is, is it unusual? Okay, earlier I talked about where I had a dream about a competitor, and later that day I would find out that a competitor just released their product. Uh, if I had dreamt about that competitor all the time then it's not that unusual <laughs> in that particular case I hadn't even thought about that competitor for over a year so it was unusual that it would happen on the same day The, the second question is does it repeat uh, and so looking for repetition of clues is an important part of this process uh, and so the, you know the stages of the clue life cycles it starts off with intuition which is when you think something might be a clue, then you look for confirmation and then you do an interpretation just like you might do in an interpretation based on a dream element. Uh, And then you take an action and you wait for validation on that action. So it's a way for each of us to have our own personal GPS, if you will, to try to figure out, you know, which of our clues are real clues we should follow and which are just our our inner patterns. You know, Steven Spielberg has a saying where he says he tells his kids that sometimes – our dreams are whispering to us from the side, and we have all this noise that's coming in from the front, and we have to block out that noise to hear the little whisper of, of our dreams that's calling us all the time. And it's kind of like that, and you have to learn to, to block out some of the noise, but this is a system to get get some confidence in how you do that.
2: Self-doubt is, is a destructive tsunami of, of information that we put ourselves through on a constant basis. For, for people that are out there that really want to make this change and they want to see something in their lives uh, different and, and start believing in part of that intuition, part of that voice that they're hearing, what are some of the, the tips you give for people to get beyond the self-doubt and the, the uh, you know, maybe decimated ego from their past and realize that there's more than just what they've already
6: suffered through? Uh, yeah. So you know, some of the tips that I give are, are first to start writing down these clues and intuitions as they come to you. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes these clues are part of a larger pattern and that, that pattern might not emerge for a long period of time. And as you start to write the clues down, then you can start to take action on those that seem most meaningful and those that, that come to you again and again. You know, another thing I talk about in the book are clues and anti clues. And, you know, sometimes we have had these patterns in our lives which end up being negative. You know, in my case, uh, one pattern was I like to jump into something, I learn it really quick, I spend a lot of time on it, and then I get bored after a month and I go on to something else. Right. And then I I'm intense to mess a little while and then I go on to something else. And so, you know, learning to recognize that pattern is actually an important part of what I call anti clues. Uh, and so, you know, I had a woman on a radio show uh, a few years ago where she was saying, uh, you know, I keep getting these business relationships and I can't get out of it, and I said, Well, what is the experience, the sensation, when you jump into the relationship? She talked about how excited she got when she was brainstorming with someone, a new business partner, and then she would just sign the contract afterwards. And I said, well, that excitement in that case is your anti-clue. It's for you to take a deep breath and slow down, uh, because many times our external destructive patterns are a result of our inner patterns. And, And that's why it's important that we take some time and breathe and we let go of, of some of the things in our, in our inner patterns that are causing us to, to do, do these things again and again. And if we do that, we can learn what are real clues and what are anti-clues. Um, you know, it turns out most of our, these patterns that may be destructive actually start off from one of our strengths. So in my case, it's actually a strength of mine that I can jump in, learn something, new, and get excited about it. The problem is when you apply it that way in the business world, it doesn't always work. And so you know, there's an old Chinese saying about dragons, and I say our patterns are like dragons. Uh, And the thing is, if you try to to fight the dragon, it will defeat you. If you try to feed the dragon, it will eat you. But if you learn to ride the dragon, you can take advantage of its might and its power. And our internal and our external patterns are like that. And and so it's important that we learn about our our internal and external patterns. And that's what having a book of clues is all about.
2: And a lot of this is is kind of a heady metaphysical jargon that a lot of people just aren't comfortable with. Is there a, a kind of a quantum physics, a science explanation for what you're describing here
6: uh yeah and and just to you know say it's not always necessarily spiritual metaphysical you know I, i'm in I live in Silicon Valley, I work with lots of venture capitalists, lots of engineers. And, you know, it, it's my contention that many of the very successful people use their intuition, they just don't use the, necessarily the terms that we're talking about today. Right. Um, and so from a quantum physics perspective, you know, there's this idea that uh, in, in quantum physics, there's a wave of possibilities for a particle of possible locations, and then there's a, a specific particle that's in one location. Well, if we kind of bring that up to our own... Uh, Level it means there are multiple possible selves doing different things, and the particle version of that is the particular life that we're in right now. And so, you know, what is it that causes this probability wave to collapse into a specific reality in quantum physics? The best answer they've come up with is that it's our consciousness. So our observation of a of a particular reality is what causes the probability wave. To collapse. And so I talk a lot about, you know, the quantum physics explanation of having multiple parallel lives. Uh, Michio Kaku is a pretty well-known physicist says that sometimes when we have a feeling of deja vu, we may actually be uh, sensing a parallel version of ourselves. Um, Fred Allen Wolf, who's a, a quantum physicist from Berkeley, says that our mind is like a time machine. We're getting information from multiple probable selves from the future. That means we're also sending information back, you know, to our past selves. And so what is it that causes these, these this to meet? It's really our consciousness and our observation. And so although people sometimes say, hey, I wish I had a quantum detection device where I could just look at it and see my <laughs> possible future. <laughs> well, we got one. It's our mind and our consciousness. <laughs> That's, as best we can tell, that is the only thing that collapses the probability wave down. And so, you know, in the book I talk about a more spiritual or metaphysical perspective of guides and past lives and clues, but... You know, I'm an engineer. I like to know how things work. Right. And so that's why I think the quantum physics part of it is, is, is very important as well.
2: I know time is running out. We have about four minutes left together. But what are some tips you could tell people right now to start if they want to have a more successful and happy position in life?
6: Well, you know, first of all, I'd say, you know, stop taking it so seriously. Part of the reason why I called it Treasure Hunt is, you know, I'm a big fan of the old Indiana Jones films, like Raiders of the Lost Right. Mark. You know, wouldn't it be nice in those films for Indy if he just got a map at the beginning and it had a little X on it, and all he had to do was just go pick up the Ark of the Covenant? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, it never works that way. But secondly, it would not make for a very interesting story. (laughs) The way that it works is that Indy gets one clue, and he has to follow that clue, and that takes him where? To the next clue. And sometimes he has clues that lead him in the wrong direction, and he has to back up. But eventually, if he keeps following the clues, he can get to the treasure. So I, I bring that up because our lives are, can be like a treasure hunt. Our careers can be like a treasure hunt. And that treasure, you know, could be that you want to write a book, could be you want to make a movie, could just be that you want to do serv- uh, service or work in the world uh, in, 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 in a certain way. And so I define success as being in the right place at the right time. You know, a friend of mine, uh, Daniel Brinkley, who you may know, uh, talks do. about the term spiritual capitalism, right? Uh, which is using your strengths uh in the world and being able to make a living while you do it and, and that's how we define spiritual capitalism and i kind of agree with that and so that's really the treasure that that we're trying to find and so if you think of it as a treasure hunt that's much more fun than thinking of it as okay i have to make you know this decision and i have to learn this technique you can let the outer uh world guide you along with your inner world by following these clues and and you can get some confidence that these clues will come to you in fact they're coming to us all the time the more we we learn to pay attention the more important they become.
2: And once you've opened that door, do they continue to? That flow doesn't get stemmed, right? It's You're actually opening the, the conduit to let more yeah. in.
6: Yeah, you're actually opening the door. I mean, I'll give you an uh, example from my own life. In the 90s, I had just uh, left my first startup. I was living in Boston I was thinking of moving to California and going back and forth and being bi coastal. But I was still in my 20s and I had no money and I thought, okay, how am I possibly going to do this? <laughs> and I was walking around New England and I started to notice these mermaids at once, twice, three times. I mean, not real mermaids, but statues of mermaids. And I had lived in Boston for 10 years, but I had never noticed these mermaids in every seafood restaurant. And so it was my mind being drawn to this clue. So I started to pay attention to it, and I said, well, what does this mean? To me personally, a mermaid is somebody who lives in two worlds, you know, the world of the ocean and the world of humans. And I took that as a sign. I interpreted it, which is the next stage, that I could live in two worlds, which is the East Coast and the West Coast. But then over time, that became a powerful symbol and clue for me. My first book was called Zen Entrepreneurship. So a lot of what I do is try to bring in uh, Eastern principles into a Western setting. And so you can see how one clue can be uh, a part of many clue life cycles over time. And that becomes the fabric of our lives with themes of the things that we were meant to do. And that's what I refer to as our personal treasure map uh, and, and our personal treasure hunt.
2: Real Life Treasure Hunt, Follow Your Dreams. Uh, just a few seconds left. It, it, the contest that people are interested in getting involved in, can they find it on your website?
6: Yeah. So if they go to zenentrepreneur.com, uh, there's uh, details on the contest where I'll be investing $20,000 into someone's spiritual or conscious business idea, as long as they've been following the clues to come to that uh, that idea. And There's an application online. and. Uh, full description at zenentrepreneur.com.
2: What a great way to inspire people. Get the book, read it, follow the clues, show that you follow those clues to get to the to the point of your success, and, and that door may be open for you. Real-life treasure hunt, follow your dreams. Rizwan Vert, thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, and thanks to Nicole Remini for sitting in, Catherine, Alex, Andy, of course, Mike, my wife. Thank you all for being here. I'll be back again tomorrow. We'll be visited by the House of Comedy, Acme Comedy Club, and more right here on the Tom Bernard
4: Show. (laughs)